everybody. It is I, as always, Ryan, um, host of DM Told Me To, and I'm back here with another update on the Ormond Project. So, uh, last week we did a good few streams, and if you guys were there, hey, see you guys. Um, it was great talking with you guys and having help with the project, and we got some new people on board, so very nice. Um, anyway, on to the project. So, as always, if you're listening on any listening platform, such as Spotify, um, Spotify, um, Podbean, etc., Stitcher, everything like that. If you want to click on the YouTube link down below, it'll bring you to the YouTube video as well. Free to check out to physically see what I'm talking about. But if not, you can certainly listen and see what's going on. And if you're watching on YouTube, hop on one of those platforms, give the, give the episode a little download. It helps with the viewer count and the episode download numbers on all different platforms. So much appreciated for those that do that. Anyway, onto the project. Okay. So, Oramon this week. So we got our uh, title. Um, not done much to change anything else. Uh, I fixed a few wordings on some of the other things. I added in the spells down here a few things. Uh, I fixed battle. Um, and ending a battle, I added if an enemy releases an Oramon, players will gain half the XP instead of full. Uh, that might be changed to a quarter. We'll see. Just because, right, if you're beating up, if you and your... Oramon and your playgroup are attacking an enemy, and they choose to release their Oramon to not have that count as one of their two deaths in battle. Um, obviously, that's like, oh, we didn't, because as players, right, you're thinking, well, we didn't knock it out. Do we gain any XP for that? Um, yes, you do. You will gain half if they release an Oramon. Basically, remember, releasing is the term where you send Oramon you have out in play into Purgatory, along with the number of cards from your hand to the graveyard through discarding them to summon another monster in its place from your hand. The amount you discarded is based on the rarity of the Oromon you are sending to Purgatory. The Oromon you summon may not be a card you discarded. This does not count as an Oromon being knocked out, right? So you're allowed for two knockouts, your dish shuts off. The releasing an Oromon is a kind of cheating way around that, right? So that you don't end up having one of the having your Oromon who's weakened get knocked out. Quick um, recap, right? If it's a common, it, you need to discard three cards. Uncommon's four, rare is five. Epic is 6, Legendary is 7, and Mythical is 8. Um, obviously, Mythical Creatures, <laughs> uh, we haven't seen them yet in our tables and lists because those are going to be endgame creatures. So, anyway. Uh, right, so you have to discard those number of cards and have that creature ready to summon as well. So for a common card to be released, you have to discard 3 cards and be able to, and have a 4th card in hand to summon. So, every turn you're going to draw a card. So hopefully as the fight goes on, you'll have cards in your hand to discard to be able to release and then not have that creature count as a knockout for you. And that's how you can kind of um, get around losing two or a mom before you lose the fight. So uh, I just wanted to clarify that because some people were asking that in the Discord. They were like, hey, what happens if, um, if a player gets... Um, if, they, if an enemy releases an Oromon, do they still get the full XP as if they would if they knock something out? And I said, do I get half? Because obviously you didn't exactly knock it out, but you weakened it enough for the enemy duelist to... The enemy Oromancer to release it, right? So, give you XP for that. Uh, fixing the spell list here. Um, Thunder spell list now. It says casting spells or channeling the Oro in its purest form. By doing this, the Oromancer is able to fight alongside their Oromon and even channel their spells through their Oromon as long as it's within their class path. And I add the sentence of Oromancers can only cast number of spells outside of battle equal to their spell card maximum until they take a long rest. And reactions can still be casted on other players' turns. So, right, because some spells are reactive. So by having that in place, it allows people to cast, for example, shield, right, as a reaction to buff up their Oromon's defense for a quick reaction to somebody else. I'm trying not to use reaction, but, you know. Uh, so 
With that being said, they now can be able to cast spells as reactions if it says reaction on the card, which is nice. And um, your spells you can cast outside of battle before long rest is equal to your spell card maximum in the deck slot list. So if we were to quickly scroll up to the top, or, top portion here, take a look. So for example, at first level, your spell card maximum is two, which means you only be able to cast two spells when you're outside of combat. So once you reach level five, then you'll be able to cast three spells outside of combat before needing a long rest, etc. So uh, with those in place, those were two kind of wording grammar changes I added for some, some ruling sake, and I think they were important to add um, for sure. Next thing with the spells, I didn't go into 6, 7, 8, or 9 yet. That'll hopefully be a stream thing. Um, you guys catch me on streaming there. And for those that don't know, I've been streaming on Twitch and YouTube. So you can check out past streams if you want to see what work we've done and people I've talked to about certain things. And um, yeah, it's just a fun place. Come on down if you want to talk with me. Wouldn't appreciate it if you guys. Otherwise, I'll just do work while I'm live and see who comes on down. So uh, next thing, the big thing that I worked the majority on and I talked with the stream about, this can be the majority of this episode. So I worked on a lot more card rarities, right, for different things. Oh, I want to mention, too, I found, the reason why this episode is coming out so late is I found so much art I can use. Um, just, uh, I don't know if this will go up today, but instead of this episode coming out noon today, I found a lot of art afterwards about it. So we're going to have a lot more evolutions ready, a lot more things ready, and we'll get into some of this. So Ormon card rarities, we talked about this before, but I added some more words here that says the rarity of Ormon in this world corresponds to the level of play you are as characters. Once you reach the next tier of play, you gain access to obtain those next set of Oromon from the next card packs. Creatures in italics, here's the new wording, right? Our homebrew Oromon added to this game mode through Patreon tiers and creator idea, through, and creator's ideas. Otherwise, all other creatures can be found in the monster manual. Clearly stating, right, you can find a creature monster manual. If it's in italics, then that's one you can't because it's something that either I've submitted as a fan-made thing that I liked or I found. Or um, if you're on Patreon and you're part of a tier, you get the opportunity to submit your own <laughs> creatures in it once a month. Or creatures or items, or make your own card packs, or make your own NPCs for the world, things like that. So, all those are tiers on Patreon. I'll link that down below if you also check out. Um, anyway, continuing on here. We have, uh, we've gone over CR0 all last time. I wanted to add, I had an epic called Shark Egg. Those in the Discord were seeing pictures of the Shark Egg. And um, people liked it, so it looked pretty good. So... With that being said, Shark Egg is an italicized creature that I have made my own of. Um, I'm going to scroll through this quickly to jump down to the card list to show you guys. So, I think I'll do it this way for creatures with multiple evolutions. So, I did the same thing with italicizing it here on the um, Almanac, where I said, right, um, I need to add the sentence that says um, that they will proceed to be italicized again if they're just not in the Monster Manual. But I feel, oh, I added that in the Almanac section. I'm sorry, I said, um... Thanks to the creativity of those on Patreon, along with the original creator, along with the original original creatures submitted by Ryan, if an Oromon is in italics, it is an original submitted Oromon. This means that Step Lock will only be found here in this book. So in addition to there being normal creatures that you can find, and then all their evolutions here, there might be some creatures that are purely imaginative for this game mode. And that way, um, you guys have a couple extra dollars a month, you want to submit on Patreon, then you too will be able to submit your own creatures as long as they're not overpowered. Um, and we'll talk about it, obviously. And be able to submit them in the book too. So if there's a character or some drawing that you've done of a creature that you really enjoy and you want to see it be put in the game, a couple dollars every month, and boom, see it in the game. So pretty exciting stuff. Like I said, so be sure to check out that link down below in the description. So Shark Egg um, evolves into the Leopard Shark, Hammerhead Shark, Thresher, or Corbigal Shark, and people on Discord saw what those were a while back. 
So uh, that's where I think I'll put Charge as an epic for this, because there wasn't really a decent creature to beat epic in CR0. So, and then one goes being the legendary, which we've talked about before. Okay. Time to get into a lot of these creatures. So, obviously, we talked about what makes a common, uncommon, rare, epic, legendary in the last one. I'll just do a quick recap, right? Commons are usually, like, the worst of that tier. Maybe they don't deal a lot of damage. Maybe they don't do a lot of stuff. For, for example, we'll take CR 1 8th, and we'll take the mule, for example, right? So, the mule stat block. We'll take a look here, and bam. So, AC of 10, hit points of 11, speed of 40, which is good speed, but AC is bad and hp is pretty bad so let's see what it moves it's got uh mules considered to be a large animal for determining scary capacity mules advantage on strength and deck saving throws you're like ryan that's pretty good but the ability hoofs plus two to hit uh one target one d4 plus two bludgeoning so you're like well ryan that's actually pretty good compared to the zeros and while yes the problem is when eight things start to pick up in damage so being able to only get a plus two to hit and only dealing one d4 plus two bludgeoning damage does not compare or does not meet par as everything else here. So let's say we compare that to an uncommon, such as uh, Twig Blight, for example. The good one that I remember, which I might move up again. Uh, we'll see. Twig Blight, I mean, that was one of the ones I was on the, um, if you're on the stream, you're like, oh, where should I put this? Because it was a tough one to determine. So Twig Blight, right? AC a 13, but hit points a 4. So this thing get, actually gets hit. It, it pretty much almost dies. Vulnerable to fire too, and some stuff. Not many things actually a fire early game. Um, can't be blinded or deafened. Great. False appearance. It's indistinguishable from a dead shrub, but it's uh, abilities of claw, which is a plus three and it hits for one d four piercing damage. So, um, as you notice, the reason why it is here is what did I move you here for? Why did I make you be an uncommon? See, this is one of the things where now that I go back and look at it. Oh, because its AC was 13, I think. So it was actually harder to hit than the mule. But still. Oh, uh, plus three to hit as well. I thought this was the one. Am I thinking of? I think I confused Twig Blight with. What was I looking at? There was something that had a AoE attack. Is that later on? Might be later on. Yeah, no, Twig Blight. You're not a... You're not the strongest. Let me see on another list here. For this one. Plus three to hit 1d4 piercing. No. Yeah. Oh, no. Alright, so Twig Blight again, like I said, I go over this as we do this stuff, so. RST, so Twig Blight's gonna go down here. Because it's obviously around the same part as the mule. Uh, so for example, let's look at another one. Now that I've done that, um, cultist. Cultist. So 12 AC, which is better than the 10 mule, hit points of 9. Um, has advantage on saving throws against being charmed or frightened, okay. But scimitar, plus 3 and 1 creature, 1d6 plus 1 slashing. That's around the normal, like, damage, right? Most of them are around 1d6 damage a turn. And at least, like, a plus 3 to hit. So... That's what determine the uncommons here. Like, for example, if you go to Kobold, do the same thing. Kobold here. Yeah, it's got Dagger, which is a D4, and Sling was an AoE damage, but it also had Pack Tactics and Sunlight Sensitivity. So that's why I put him there. Pack Tactics, we talked about, is pretty good. I know he's in the uncommons because he's got Sunlight Sensitivity, and his other attacks otherwise just deal D4 and aren't really super, super significant. Um, 
look at some of the rares quick uh flump uh what's it going we'll do tribal war or poisonous snake i think I'm just gonna do this. Um, DD creatures by yeah, by CR is one of my favorite things to just use. Here we go. So we are in the point one two five, and we're gonna go to the what was it? Poisonous snake, right? Okay. Let's see why I put that one in the rare category. So AC of thirteen, hit points of two, so very weak. But this is a glass cannon because plus five to hit, and it guarantees deal one piercing damage. And you're like, well, okay. But target makes a DC 10 con saving throw, taking 2d4 poison damage on a failed save, or half as much on a successful one. So this thing, if you don't succeed, could deal, at minimum, 1 piercing and 2 poison. And stuff at this rank, poison could be a lot to it. So the fact that this thing could, could deal, at max, 9 damage, pretty good. Right, so... And allow us a two or half as much damage on a successful one. So this one always deals some sort of poison damage, right? It's not like other saves at this level where it's like, oh, you, you passed? Okay, no penalty at all. No, you still take half damage. That's why I put that one there. Because you're guaranteed to take poison damage from it as long as you get hit with a plus five to hit compared to like the plus three from the kobold, right? So uh, next one being if you were to look at um, Flump, just because I think it's a fun, fun little character. Ah! Just go back to my list here. Oh, they don't even have it on the list. Okay, flump. Or flump. All uh, right, so this thing had a lot. This thing had a lot. Um, AC 12, uh, HP 7. Telepathy, basically. Um, if a flump is knocked prone, roll a die on it. Ah, the flump lands upside down. As a capacity at the end of each of its turns, the flump can make a DC 10 dexterity, riding itself, ending it. Um, teleporphic Shroud. Bumps immune any effect that would sense its emotions, but also has Tendril, which is plus 4 and deals 1d4 plus 2 piercing, plus 1d4 acid damage at the end of each of its turns. The target must also make a DC 10 con saving throw, taking 1d4 acid on a failure, or ending the recurring acid damage. Or it also has Stench Spray, creature in a 15 foot cone from it, must succeed on dexterity saving throw. Yeah, obviously this thing, now that I look at it, is undervalued. Right? So... Because this thing deals a lot more stuff than the other thing. So that's where, right, through playtesting, people would be like, oh, this should be a, a stronger guy, or oh, this should be this. So that's where this will come in handy. We get the playtesters here. That's not what I wanted. It was just crawling claw thing I was talking about in Discord with everybody. Plump. Um, I'll put it in the epic category. So obviously, stuff will shift around and move around. So, oh, you're not going to be nice. I have to do column break. Okay. You'll learn, you'll learn some commands here and there to just make the page look a little nicer at times, so. Ah, this one's going to do it to me too? Okay. I thought I could get away with it, but it doesn't seem so. As you can see, I typed the same thing twice, but it, uh, it just didn't like it, it seem. Let me see. There it is, yep. And then I have to do it again for the uncommons. So this can be a little tedious, obviously, the amount of um, sensitivity that GM Binder has. And I've been having a problem getting it as a PDF again, which I don't know why, but... Uh, anyway, so, for example, Flump would be a considered an epic, now looking at it, right? Because it deals this, plus this damage. And at the end of the turn, the target makes this, otherwise it keeps taking acid damage, which is pretty nice. Next thing being the um, Noble. Noble's one I definitely want to talk about. People are like, why Noble? 
Kevin fought Noble in D&D 5e. There's a pretty, pretty strong, uh, pretty strong thing about the Noble. Yep. AC of 15. By far the strongest AC of anything that we've, that's on this list so far. Uh, next to... No, yeah, that's the strongest AC of something on this list right now. That also has decent attack, right? So here, it has a 15 breastplate, which is 15. It has rapier, which is plus 3 to hit, 1d8 plus 1 piercing. But the reaction as well, which is the noble adds 2 to its AC against 1 melee attack that would hit it. To do so, the noble must see the attack me wielding a melee weapon called parry. So you can make your AC 17 against 1 melee attack that would hit you every round. And uh, a lot of things early on in D&D makes a melee or attacks such as claw, bite, right? Things like that that are physical melee attacks. So by the noble having an AC of 17, <laughs> it makes it so that it is quite sturdy. Um, and that's once every turn cycle, which is huge. So being able to summon this noble to help you with fighting. Make sure that your guy doesn't die as much. So, very strong ability of parry. So that is why it's in the epic category. But you're like, okay, then why is Sturge a legendary? Let's see, shall we? For this, Sturge. The reason I made Sturge a legendary was pretty close to the reason why I made Homunculus a legendary, right? So Sturge is AC of 14, hit points of 2. So pretty weak, but AC of 14, almost as high as the Noble. Let me point out. Ability of Blood Drain. Plus 5 to hit on one creature within 5 feet. It deals 1d4 plus 3 piercing damage. And the Sturge attaches to the target. While attached, the Sturge doesn't attack. Instead, at the start of each of the Sturge's turns, the target loses 1d4 plus 3 hit points due to blood loss. The Sturge can detach itself by spending 5 feet of its movement. It does so after it drains 10 hit points of blood from the target or the target dies. The creature, including the target, can use its action to detach the Sturge. So, group fight, right? I send out my Sturge, other people send out their other Ormon while attacking one big creature. My Sturge is blood draining on it. I hit it, I hit it successfully. I roll a d4 plus 3 piercing damage. My Sturge is now attached. While attached, instead of me rolling, it just deals the damage by sucking the blood of the enemy. And if the enemy wants to remove it, it takes the enemy's entire action to detach the Sturge. So it not only gets to deal damage, if they don't use their spend their turn to remove it, it keeps doing additional damage until it does so, until it drains 10 hit points, like it says. And it eats up the enemy's action that we talked about before, which makes it huge, because by doing that, the enemy is now stuck spending its turn to remove the Sturge, while everyone else gets a, basically another cycle of attacks on it. Especially if it's a one enemy versus like four players. Right, which is huge. Being able to make the enemy just have to skip their entire turn, basically, just to remove the Sturge. Very nice. So it eats the enemy's turn, it continuously deals damage, and can deal damage for free once it lands an attack. Very strong abilities, and that is why it also has a speed of flying speed of 40. So that's just where I made the little Sturge have the uh, ability of legendary, right? Because think about it. It literally makes the enemy have to skip their turn Unless they want to keep taking damage. And in a 3v1 fight, just continually taking damage from a Sturge. Can you imagine this? If you and your friends are playing this game with your DM. And you each have cracked open a Sturge from the card packs. 
You and your three friends, there's four of you, all have a Sturge. Your little flying army, I'll show you what guys with a Sturge looks like, because this doesn't have the picture of it here. You and your army of Sturge and your group of um, D&D 5e players, right? Oh, hello. Yeah, it's basically like a little mosquito-looking guy. Um, these are some interesting. It's just interesting to come on to, uh, Google and just have the different Sturge art. But this is what the book is, the Monster Manual, so I'll show that one. Uh, this is the Sturge, right? You guys have your little monstrosity flying little creatures here. This is a beast, right? So you all have your little beasts that are flying around like this. It's tiny, so it's super small, right? Tiny beast, yeah. He's really little. There's you guys and the four of them all go and attack a player. You, let's say you, by chance, all happen to roll successfully on its AC. And all your Sturges are rolling a d4 and plus three on its turns until you all successfully suck away ten hit points of the creature for free. Or it could spend an action to try to remove one of the Sturges on it, but it's still taking damage from the other ones. So you see how good that is. <laughs> I mean, of course, anything in multiple numbers is nice with pack tactics and like that, but this is continuous damage, and the thing has to skip its turn, basically, to remove you. Then a swarm? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very strong. Okay, continuing on. Um, basically, so that was all CR 18th, right? There's a bunch of other things I've talked about. Um... But yeah, looking through things, that's kind of why I laid some things out the way that I did. So, uh, basically, Bandit and uh, Tribal Warrior, Mastiff. I'm trying to remember why I put Mastiff there. Let's see. Mastiff, I put you in the rare category because, let's see. Uh, bite, you have, oh, uh, that's why. If the target is a creature, it must exceed on a DC 11 strength, saving throw, or be knocked prone. A 1D6, like we talked about on average, but it also causes a saving throw to be made, otherwise it gets knocked prone. Already better. Already better. Granted, HP is 5, AC is 12, but if its attack hits, it also gets the additional benefit of knocking prone. Um, poison Snake, should that be even lower? Maybe. Um, guard, Bandit, and Tribal Warrior. Let's take a look at Bandit quick. Now, Bandit had the option to do a 1d8 ranged weapon attack from a light crossbow, which 1d8, that's already stronger than other stuff we've seen here. So that's why Bandit earned the rare category. Um, guard and Tribal Warriors, the next one. Guard. Uh, Spirits, 1d6, or again, 1d8 piercing if they use with two hands. And an AC of 12. Not as much as the Noble's 17 on a reaction, but of a melee attack. But at base, a guard has 12, which is really good. That's why I made it a, uh, a rare. That might be worthy of an epic. Let's see. Um, and Tribal Warrior, are you here? Yep, there it is. Tribal Warrior had pack tactics, and it got to do the D8. So, that's what made that pretty, pretty good. Oh, Flying Snake. How could I forget Flying, Flying Snake to talk about? Flying Snake we'll talk about next in a second. Now talking, I think I'm going to move Tribal Warrior up because it, it is a D8, and it has no downside of, like, sunlight sensitivity like the Cobalt. It just has pack tactics, which is actually pretty good. I think I'm going to make Tribal Warrior also be an epic as well, just to have some other things at higher tiers here. Essentially opening card packs. So CR18 didn't have as much creatures. Oh, come on. You're gonna be a pain. Oh, it's gonna be a pain. And move it over there. Hmm. I wanted to show a flying snake quick. Maybe that's why I moved Tribal Warrior down, was because the other ones were just so much better. Uh you're gonna be a pain to me. I can only make four cat four like columns on the thing, unfortunately. So it just moves Sturge over. That's not fun. I might move Tribal Warrior back then. 
that could just be, for example, some card packs have like premium rares, right? So that could be a really good rare to get in a card pack then. Yeah. All right, I want to show Flying Snake though, because I'm pretty sure Flying Snake, I remember being quite good. So this is one eighth, right? Where other things deal like a D8. We saw the Noble with a special reaction. Flying Snake. AC of 14, hit points of five. Fly by the snake does not provoke opportunity attacks when it flies out of an enemy's reach. So it can spend its 60 flying speed of 30, 30 to fly over. Rolls an attack of bite, which bite is a plus six to hit. One piercing plus three D four poison. At minimum, it's four damage. At maximum, it's 13 with a plus six to hit. It can fly down for 30. Bite you, and then fly back up for another 30, because you can choose to take movement, do your action, and then take movement again right after, as long as you have movement left. And it doesn't opportunity attacks when it flies out of an enemy's reach. So good luck, enemies that only can bite and slash at things. You're not going to be able to hit me if I'm 30 feet up in the air. Good try. So that's why I put the snake up in the epic, and I'm sure you guys can see why, because that's, that's, a, that's a lot of damage, you know? Um, sorry. Uh, but yeah, so that's where those, those come in for that. Uh, next thing is the CR one fourth, right? That's the uh, quarter creatures. This was a lot. We banged this one out on stream. Basically, this was a this was a lot. Um, trying to get things that made things be. Oh yeah. So for example, like goblins, common, panthers, common, kenku's common, skeleton. A lot of like the iconic D and D characters were actually pretty common for the uh for the rarity, and they're just well known. They're not like known for what they do, right? So a goblin, right? If you look at it. AC at 15, not bad. Hit points of 7. Uh, can take disengage or hide action as a bonus action each of its turns. Uh, which actually, now that I think about it, disengage action says dis or disengage here. Disengage action says take disengage action. Your movement doesn't provoke opportunity attacks for your turn. Yeah. So you basically can run in, deal damage, and back away like the snake, but your damages consist of 1d6 plus 2 slashing or 1d6 piercing and only a plus 4 to hit. Nowhere near 1 plus 3d4 with a plus 6 to hit that can also fly. <laughs> right, so. And that's the common category, right? You're probably like, why are these other things in the uncommon? What makes them better? Number one, Acolyt, in your Acolyte Y, well, an Acolyte is here because it's the first thing that has a healing spell. It's Cure Wounds and Sanctuary, which are two pretty decent healing spells to be a, for a Celestial, right? That's huge. If you have a creature that can heal, then you don't have to put spell slots in to heal people. So, that's pretty good. Uh, next thing being, if you just look at Duo Drone or Constrictor Snake, Constrictor Snake. It has Bite and Constrict, Constrictor's ability, where it deals plus 4 with a 1d8, and the target is grappled. Until the grapple ends, the creature's restrained, and the snake cannot constrict another target, obviously, because it's grappling and holding on to you. So, that's part of it. Next thing being... Uh, like, for example, we got Pseudo Dragon, Giant Centipede, Boar, right? So if you look at the list... Constrictor Snake, well, yes, that's pretty good. That's why it's a little better than Goblin, right? Because it's up there. It deals more than just, oh, a, a X amount of damage a turn. Duo Drone is not on the list, so. While that list is nice, one that I look at it doesn't have everything. 
that's in that CR for the monster manual. So, you have a dual drone, um, makes two fist attacks or two javelins. So, it automatically makes two attacks. You'll probably do javelin because you can do that up close for five feet. And you can hit 1d6 plus one, which is really 2d6 plus two a turn, which is quite nice. So, got that going on there. Next thing being the. Just looking at different things, right? Four basically attacks, knocks something prone for a d8, which is pretty good. Uh, Pseudo Dragon. You're probably like, why Pseudo Dragon? Pseudo Dragon actually is not as strong as people make it out to be. So Pseudo Dragon is AC of 13, hit points of 7. Uh, magic resistance, which is nice. Actions of biting and stinging, which is a d4, but sting can pierce the target, must succeed on the concept to become poisoned. And though it fails by five more, the target rolls unconscious. For the same duration, or until it takes damage, or another creature uses an action to shake it awake. Again, this is why Homunculus is way better. Because Homunculus obviously does not have that condition of shaking awake. It's simply, are you sleeping? Then you're out. Good luck. Next thing being, I'm just looking at other ones here. Oh, Smoke Method. That was alright. Uh, smoke Method isn't on this list, so D&D Smoke. Method. Oh, a lot of methods were in this one. Mod method, smoke method, steam method. A lot of things were here. So looking at quickly the smoke method. Um, when it dies, a cloud of smoke fills. It just makes it heavily obscured. It may cast dancing lights. Okay. Uh, but it has claws, which is a d4, and cinder breath. It excels a 15-foot cone. Each creature in the area must succeed on that throw or be blinded until the end of the method's next turn. So, you become blinded for a turn. It's not, compared to all the other methods, not the best by, me, by any means, right? So, for example, if we look at the next tier up, which has the mud method. The mud method. Are you on the list? No. Okay, mud method. A mefit. I'm sorry if it's like mefit, but. Mud Mayfit, right? It says, Death Burst. When it dies, each creature rolls a DC 13 or be restrained until the end of the creature's next turn. Restraint grants advantage, which is pretty nice. Um, it has Mud Breath, which already now this mud, now this Mayfit or Mayfit deals all D6 and 74 damage with its fists. Already better, right? And it breathes, belches mud into an area. DC 11 saving throw be restrained for one minute. A creature can be the same at the end as each of its turns, ending the effect on itself on success. So they can try to break out on each of their turns, but it also they also deal d6 instead of deal 4 with normal damage. So that's what makes it pretty good. And then we go up to the steam method, and you're probably like, why is steam? Like, what, what is this hierarchy about? Well, you thought those ones were good. The next one being steam. Steam, I think, is one of the best ones, because here's why. Steam, are you not on the list? We're on point two. Yeah, we're on point two five. Steam method. I knew it was on the list. Okay, already AC of ten, HP of twenty one. Other one has, for example, mod method has an AC of eleven, HP of twenty seven. Okay, but Steam has death burst, which remember how they all die and do something and they die. This one, each creature in five feet must make a DC tech ten dexterity saving throw or take a D eight of fire damage. So as soon as they kill or knock this thing out, then it deals a D8 of fire damage. Really good. The best thing too, it can cast Blur, requiring no material components. So, Blur. 
Blur is actually pretty good. Blur. Your body becomes blurred, shifting and waving to all who can see it. For the duration, any creature has disadvantage on attack rolls against you. An attacker is immune to the effect if it doesn't rely on sight with blind sight or can see through illusions as a true sight. But a lot of things early on don't have that. So being able to give yourself disadvantage on attack rolls against you, pretty good. Yes, you have to concentrate on the spell, so if you actually get it, you have to roll to see if you maintain concentration. But you already make enemies have disadvantage on you. And it just says for self, up to one minute. So, 10 rounds of combat, they have disadvantage on hitting you. And then if they somehow kill you, you deal D to fire damage. What are your attacks? Well, you do 1d4 slashing plus 1d4 fire. So you're already dealing 2d4 with your attacks. We'll take that. And then your breath attack, in a 15-foot cone of scalding steam, each creature in the area must succeed on a DC 10 dexterity saving throw, taking 1d8 fire on a failed save, or half as much on a successful one. So you are dealing fire damage all over. And a lot of things, not a lot of things, but quite a few things are actually vulnerable to fire, especially if it's a woodland creature. So that makes you as a steam effort be uh, pretty darn strong, if I say so myself. Um, where is there? There's a website that reads the creatures to you. I'm trying to see if I can find it quick and just hear how the name is pronounced. Oh, maybe I won't be able to find it. That's okay. And there's more methods and stuff later, so we'll get to those obviously more when that when those come up, but here it is. Let's see what the official site says quick. Smoke method. Okay. Smoke method it is. Method is what I was saying before, so we'll keep method the way it is. And also, that guy's voice is pretty cool. I say. Anyway. So, that's like the method trained, right? And that shows examples of what's in each tier, right? So for the uncommons, you have the zombie, you have the wolf, mostly because zombies undead fortitude. Wolf gets pack tactics. Um, oh, the next, like, trend was the swarms, right? So, we got a swarm of bats, a swarm of rats, and a swarm of ravens. Swarm of bats, AC of 12, HP 22. So, this is something that's in the um, uncommon, right? Echolocation, okay. Swarm can occupy another creature's space, and vice versa, and the swarm can move through any opening large enough for a tiny bat. The swarm cannot heal hit points or gain temporary hit points, but its action is it can bite and deals 2d4 piercing or 1d4 if you're at half its health. So you roll, hit, plus 5, you get 2d, or plus 4 to hit uh, for 2d4 piercing. And it stays in the space as another character, which could be useful for certain things. So, swarm of bats, so remember that, 2d4 piercing, compare that to the rats. Same thing as the bats, the swarm, AC of 10, a little worse, HP 24, a little worse. Um, oh, the kicker, let me see, the bats have it as well? Yeah, so all the swarms have resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing. Which, you know, most of the things early on only do that kind of damage anyway. So that's why I didn't have them start in like the lower tier of common. I had the bats be uncommon, the rats rare, and then the ravens epic. So already getting resistance to some of the most early, earliest types of damage in the game. Huge, right? Because now... If the skeleton tries to slash you with a sword, or someone tries to slash you with a scimitar, or spear you, that's piercing, or bash you with a club, that's bludgeoning, or trying to do clawing and slashing or biting, all that's bludgeoning, piercing, or slashing. So they're already going to have resistance on trying to hit you for damage to be halved. You're also immune to a lot of conditions. Charmed, frightened, grappled, petrified, prone, resistance, stun. A lot of a good few things we've already seen so far, and this is me doing a little Sparks Notes, little version of everything, right? Can 
do condition of prone especially or restrained or grapple right because it maybe it's a snake or it's a big boar hitting knocking you prone all these things they're immune to but obviously the bat only deals 2d4 so that's why it's in the uncommon thing now that's actually pretty good for an uncommon so that's one of like the premium i guess uncommons right whether it's the rats which deals 2d6 piercing in an area right otherwise everything else is the same kind of no echolocation but Swarm can occupy another creature's space, and vice versa. The swarm can move through any opening large enough for a tiny rat. The swarm can't regain hit points or gain temporary hit points, yada yada, etc. Uh, but it keeps the whole resistance, the immunities, etc. But the rats steal 2d6. The ravens. Um, hit points of 24, AC of 12. So the bat, basically, but as birds. Um, also has a swarm ability and deals 2d6 piercing, but. It's a plus four to hit, whereas the rats were only a plus two to hit, and the bats were a plus four, but the bats are a plus four, only hitting 2d4. The rats were only a plus two, but deal 2d6. So ultimately, if we have the best of the bunch, and we have our plus four, and we're dealing 2d6, there we go. Then that means that the ravens are the best of the bunch, right? So... With that being said, it's the same thing, bludgeoning, piercing, slashing, but yeah, so that explains those three a little bit. Oh, what are some other spunky ones I wanted to talk about? Oh, oh, the violet fungus. That took me like 10 to 15 minutes, which obviously you're like, what? Here's why. All right. People listening at home, this is where, again, I love seeing you guys' comments on videos, comments on either in the description of the video, like if you're on a listening platform and you drop it, if you're on iTunes, or if you listen to it and you're on Podbean and you drop a comment, awesome. If you're on YouTube and drop a comment, amazing. I love reading comments. Um, this is where I need your help. I put Violent Fungus in Rare because I didn't really know where else to put it, and I figured Rare is kind of middle, right? It's not common or uncommon. It's not epic, it's legendary, it's rare. Uh, rares, there'll always be a chance for a rare. The best chance of an pack will be a rare, so. AC of 5. So you're probably going to get hit. HP of 18. Alright, little decent. Speed of 5 feet. <laughs> you're like, right, that sucks. Yep. No, it definitely does. If there's one creature I've looked at so far, that's the definition of a glass cannon. I would say it's this creature, and here's why. Obviously, AC of 5, hit points of 18, really bad. But it has the actions of false, I mean, it has the ability of false appearance, so it looks like an ordinary fungus, but it's actions. Multi-attack. The fungus makes 1d4 rotting touch attacks. What is rotting touch? Well, rotting touch is plus 2 to hit, or reach of 1 creature for 1d8 necrotic damage. Reach of 10 feet. But the kicker is, it makes 1d4 rotting touch attacks. Every turn, you roll a d4. Let's say you roll the 4. 25% chance. All of your attacks have a plus 2 to hit. Okay. And for 10 feet. So somebody else could be fighting in front of you, and you reach from behind them to hit the target. Right? That's 10 feet. So you're not getting hit. You could have somebody in front of you, which takes the hits, already nullifying your AC of 5, if you're not the one getting hit. And let's say you hit with... All of your attacks of Rotting Touch for the plus two. That's 4d8 necrotic damage. <sighs> Obviously, that's the best case, right? 
I don't think we've seen anything else that deals like a good 48. Now, you only have a plus two to hit, which also sucks. But you can deal up to four attacks a turn. At the very minimum, you deal what um it's a D4. At the very minimum, you have one chance to hit for a D8 of necrotic. This is the first thing we've really seen that deals like necrotic damage to something, right? So my question to you guys as listeners is where should this fall? After seeing everything we've talked about today, comparing all the different things of the commons, young commons, rares, things like that. We'll go into some more epics, and I'll definitely want to go break down the legendaries for everybody. Just explain why I put five things in the legendaries category. Where should Violet Fungus Fung? Where should Violet Fungus fall? Right. Obviously, you can make a scenario for anything. You can say, oh, someone's in front of him, so the AC is null. So thus, you just worry about its AC of, or its HP of 15, or 18, I'm sorry. But the fact that it can deal potentially 48 necrotic, or just 1d8 necrotic. I mean, yes, its chance to hit is low. I understand that. But it hits like a truck if everything hits. So where should this fall? I want you guys' opinion as listeners. On stream, we talked about it for a good while, and we just kind of came to the conclusion to do a rare. But... Um, you guys listen because a lot more people listen to the podcast episodes besides the stream, which is totally cool. I've seen the stream just for fun. So, where do you guys think that this violent fungus should fall? If anybody's curious, if they're like, what does it look like? Here's a picture. Oh, go Google. Here's what this thing looks like. I think they look pretty cool. I think they look pretty gnarly. I mean, look at this thing. It's got tentacles on it. It's purple. It looks like, for those that are listening, it looks like a fungus with, like, purple tendrils shooting all out of it, and it's, like, shooting up out of the ground with, like, a skull below it. So, because it deals necrotic damage. So, yeah. Um, so, just let me know in the comments down below. What do, you th- what do you think of it? Where should Violet Fungus be? Should it be? Should it stay in rare? Did I make the right choice with putting it in a rare? Should it be an uncommon? Common. Maybe an epic. Heck, maybe even a legendary. If you're like, man, that thing's 48. That's the strongest attack we've seen by far. So, I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say. So, anyway. Um, that was one of the ones I was like, oh, I gotta ask. Gotta ask listeners about because I need opinions on this one. So, moving on. Uh, we're gonna go through the epics quick because there's just a few. Um, Kawatua. Not saying that right at all, but... Let me see. Can I have the... Yeah, let's hear what the guy says. Kuotoa. Kuotoa. Okay. Kuotoa here. Let's go another stat box with the Kuotoa. Kuotoa is... Nope. That's not what I wanted. No. Come on now. There we go. All right. Um, going through a quick uh, AC of 13, hit points of 18. Okay. Uh, can breathe on air and water. So if your background is pirate, you get a bonus for amphibious. Uh, can sense the presence of any creature within 30 feet of it that is invisible or on the ethereal plane it can pinpoint such a creature that is moving. So it can detect things that are invisible. Really good. Slippery. It has advantage on belly checks and sand throws made to escape a grapple because it's a slimy fish. Sunlight sensitivity. Alright, there's the downside, right? If it's out in the sun. Disadvantage on attack rolls as well as wisdom perception checks that rely on sight. Now we'll get into its actions, and even as a reaction, right? So I think usually if something has a reaction, I put it in the epic, if not legendary category, because that's, reactions make these things really good, especially if it's a creature, right? So, bite, plus three to hit, one d4 plus one damage, right? You're probably never going to do that. You're probably going to use your spear, which is a d, uh, plus three to hit, and you deal one d6 plus one piercing, or if you're two-handing it, one d8 plus one piercing. Let's say you're holding a fishnet, because you have a net. Range weapon attack, plus three. Range of five to 15 feet. One large or smaller creature. If it hits, the target is restrained. 
A creature can use its action to make a DC 10 strength check to free itself, or another creature in a net, ending the effect on success. Dealing 5 slashing damage to the net, AC of 10, frees a target without harming it, and destroys the net. So, eats up the enemy's turn. Again, remember we talked about a point that is eating up the enemy's turn. And you can deal 1d8 piercing, but the reaction is what really sold me. The net's pretty good, but the reaction sold me to put in the epic category. Because now you're, we're up in a higher level things. Now we're in the um, half. We're in the CR challenge rating of 1 fourth, right? Instead of 1 eighth. So, reaction. Sticky shield. When a creature misses the, ko the Kuatoa with a melee weapon attack, the Kuatoa uses its sticky shield to catch the weapon. The attacker must succeed on a DC 11 strength saving throw or their weapon becomes stuck to the Kuatoa's shield. If the weapon's wielder can't or won't let go of the weapon, the wielder is grappled while the weapon is stuck. While stuck, the weapon can't be used. A creature can pull the weapon free by taking an action to make a DC 11 strength check in sick eating. So that's really good. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really good. So if somebody hits you, their weapon basically gets stuck. And a lot of attacks rolling on, like we discussed with the other guys earlier, are melee attacks. So, a lot of things are going to be physically trying to slash you, bite you, etc. So that's where your shield comes in. You stick it to them. They now become stuck and have to spend their turn to make a check to free themselves. It's not that they just remove it like the Sturge. They have to make a check to see if they can remove, like, their weapon. Otherwise, they say they stay stuck to that thing grappled with the grappled condition. What's grappled? Well, let's see. As I know we talked about, I know I jump around for people that know this. I'm sorry, it sounds like a broken record, but a lot of people don't mind me looking things up, I feel. Even I forget things. So, grapple creature speed becomes zero. It can't benefit from any bonuses. The condition ends if the grappler is incapacitated, which is knocked out, right? Condition also ends if an effect removes the grapple creature from the reach of the grappler or grappling effects, which is when a creature is hurled away by the thunder wave spell. So, that's pretty much it. Biggest thing is your speed becomes a zero and you can't benefit from any bonus to your speed because you're stuck. Because your attack or your weapon, your sword, whatever, is stuck. Doesn't grant advantage, doesn't do any of that. But you, if it's your weapon, you can't attack with that. Right? If you're a skeleton and you're trying to use your sword to hit the, the, the Kuatoa, then you're hitting the, sh the shield. If you miss hitting him, you can, he can reaction and stick it to the shield. And now you're stuck. So while, and he says, while stuck, the weapon can't be used. Right? So. Really big... Really big buff and strength there. Look at this fish boy. Pretty cool. Yeah, so these things are pretty good, obviously. That's why I made this thing be an epic. When a legendary, it has some light sensitivity. So as this advantage on the attack rolls, as well as this wisdom perception checks that rely on sight. So um, obviously, yeah, your reaction is beautiful. Your attack, disadvantage if you're out in the sunlight, which a lot of things are that. But if you're in a dungeon and exploring around underground, obviously there's no sunlight. So you're pretty, pretty strong. Uh, next thing, Needle Blight. Aha, that's the one I was thinking of. Not the Twig Blight, but the Needle Blight. So, from Needle Blight. Needle Blight actually, like, surprised me with, like, how strong it actually was. So, if I can find it here. Nope. Alright, let's go to Needle Blight. Needle Blight was the one that, that, uh, that definitely surprised me. Yeah, not the Twig Blight, but with Needles. So AC of 12, hit points of 11. Nice. Okay. Um, can be blind, deaf, and great. Uh, claws, which is a plus three, and that already deals 2d4 piercing. Nice. But needles. 
A plus 3 to hit, with a range of 30 to 60 feet on one target, and it deals 2d6 plus 1 piercing. That's pretty good! You could be like 60 feet away, and just shoot needles at people from the back lines dealing 2d6 plus 1. That is really good. So that is why he's in the epic category as well. Not legendary. And we reached the legendary yet, despite being able to deal 2d6 a turn from far away with a plus 3 to hit. Pretty good, but it's AC's 12, it's, it's HP's 11. Nothing too good at all for its AC, or for its challenge rating, excuse me. So, next thing being Sprite. Sprite's probably on that list, right? Yeah, Sprite, okay. Uh, AC of 15, HP of 2. But, as a longsword, which is plus 2 to hit, guaranteed for 1 slashing, great. But, short bow, and this is the kicker, it has other kickers too, but... Uh, plus six to hit, a range of forty or one hundred sixty, uh, forty to like one sixty feet, right? One target, what guarantees deal one piercing. Great. I must succeed on DC ten con saving throw or become poisoned for one minute. The saving throw result is five or lower. The poison target falls unconscious for the same duration, or until it takes damage, or another creature takes an action to shake it awake. So again, we reach the not as good as homunculus, but poisons a creature. And if it's five or less, they fall unconscious, which can take a player completely out of the game for multiple rounds until they wake up after that minute, or they take damage, or another creature takes their turn to wake it up. So if you knock a creature unconscious, you're not only taking its turn, you're taking another player's turn, because they then have to wake up the sleeping creature. Really good, right? Heart Sight, the sprite touches a creature, magically knows the creature's current emotional state. Target fails a DC Christmas saving throw, the sprite also knows the creature's alignment. Celestial Fiends and Undead automatically fail. So you get to basically know a lot about the creature, sort of. You get to know, like it said, its current emotional state and how it's feeling, and your creature's alignment. If it fails, and a few things auto-fail. Last thing, invisibility. The sprite magically turns invisible until it attacks or casts a spell, or until its concentration ends. As if concentrating a spell, any equipment the sprite wears or carries is invisible with it. If it's invisible, it gets to do a surprise attack, because the enemy's not going to know where it is. And you need a surprise attack. Any character monster that doesn't notice a threat is surprised at the start of the encounter. If you're surprised, you can't move or take an action on your first turn or combat. A member of the group can be surprised. Basically, um, yeah, the surprise attack have advantage. Attacks against a surprise creature down a certain member with advantage, though often a situation that results in a creature being surprised comes along with a hidden attacker. Typically, yeah, so the sprite is considered hidden, right? Because it's invisible. Unless something can see it with a true sight or something, but anyway. So it gets advantage on their attack, and what attack will they have advantage on? Well, you probably want advantage on your short bow, which already has a plus six to hit. Guaranteed deal at one piercing. So the target has to make a con saving throw or be poisoned, and obviously if they fail the poison save, then they fall unconscious. And you can just magically keep turning invisible. Yep. Yep. You can just turn invisible. There's no spell. You just have the ability to turn yourself invisible. So then keep trying to get advantage to hit with on the short bow. Pretty good, right? Pretty good. So that's why it is an epic. We talked about Steam Method. We talked about the Swarm of Ravens. All right. Last part of the video here. Talking about the legendaries here for the CR rating. Drow. So Drow was an interesting one. I originally had Drow and Epic because it does the same thing kind of as Sprite does. 
then I ended up moving it because a lot of players online were saying how OP the Drow is, especially early game. So you have an AC of 15 as Drow, which is actually pretty good. An HP of 13, already a lot better than the Sprite with two. And here's what they do. You can't be charmed. I'm actually put to sleep. You have the uh, spells Dancing Light, Darkness, Fairy Fire, which, find the spells quick, right? So for Dancing Lights, if you're like, what does that do? Uh, Dancing Lights, you uh, crypt four torch-sized lights within range or glowing orbs in the air. You can combine them into a glowing, vaguely humanoid form. Uh, da, 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 as a bonus action, you can move the lights up to 60 feet. Da, 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 you can move the lights, etc. So you make lights. Fun. Not very important. Um, darkness is pretty good. The darkness spell. A magical darkness spreads from a point you choose 15 foot radius. A creature with dark vision can't see through it because it's magical darkness. At the point you choose an object you're holding, or one that's being worn or carried, the darkness emanates an object completely covering the source of darkness with an opaque object. If any spells area overlaps an area of light, um, the spell that created the light is dispelled. So you actually like make an area of darkness to hide your group around and then spread around corners, right? So if your group has to like escape, you can make darkness and then have everyone know where the exit is. Boom. And then we have fairy fire. This thing already has a bunch of spells that it knows that for utility or play reasons, right? Each object in a 20 foot cube within range is outlined in blue, green or violet light. Any creature in the area when the spell is cast is also outlined in light. If it fails a dexterity saving throw for the duration, objects and affected creatures shed a dim light in 10 foot radius. Great, Ryan. But any attack rolls against an affected creature or object has advantage if the attacker can see it and the affected creature or object can't benefit from being invisible. So let's say you just make every creature in a 20 foot cube of your choice, the range of 60 feet, so you can make all the enemies. And that 20 foot cube, all of a sudden, bam, now they're all glowing. Now my team has advantage to trying to hit it because we know where they're going to be. So you give not only yourself, but the team advantage. Huge. And you can do this one day each. Granted, the drow has disadvantage on attack rolls as well as wisdom saving throws, but it can give light to something to nullify the disadvantage in the sunlight. And if you're, so it balances equals out, right? And if you're not in the sunlight, you will have advantage if you cast Fairy Fire. Why is this important? Well, your actions of Short Sword give you a plus 4 to hit. Reach of 5 feet, which is 1d6 plus 2 piercing. Pretty average for that CR. And then Hand Crossbow, plus 4 to hit. Uh, 1d6 plus 2 piercing. Target must make a DC 13 con saving throw, not a 10 like the Sprite. And not 1 damage like the Sprite, but 1d6 plus 2 piercing. If they fail by five or more, you fall unconscious while poisoned, and the target wakes up if it takes damage or if another creature takes an action shake. So, it grants advantage on a bunch of enemy creatures if they fail the fail save. It does have disadvantage on attack rolls while in the sunlight, but hopefully that light that you do will help. Or, if you cast darkness, then there is no light in that area. Yep. And then your hand crossbow, obviously, if you knock something unconscious, it eats up a turn from somebody else to shake it awake or it just stays sleeping. And then that person's just out for a good few rounds until they wake up. So this is a pretty dangerous creature, as you can see. That is why it is considered a legendary. Oh, flying sword. Alrighty, flying sword. Yep. Yep, here's the stat block for those seeing it. 
AC already of 17. Great about the noble who needs to get hit by melee attack and once per each turn cycle upon it being attacked by melee it can grant itself AC of 17. This thing just starts with AC of 17. Already the highest AC of any creature we've seen on the list by far. So hit points of 17 which is not a lot but it flies for 50 feet. Immune to poison psychic. It can't be charmed, deafened, paralyzed, petrified, poisoned. That's interesting though. It can be knocked prone. Okay. The sword is um, incapacitated in the area of an anti-magic field. So that's its weakness, right? If targeted by dispel magic, the sword must succeed in a constant throw or falls unconscious. Uh, false appearance. The sword remains motionless and isn't flying. It's indistinguishable from a normal sword. Its actions are plus three to hit and it's 1d8 slashing. So it already gets a pretty average plus three to hit. And deals a d8, which is towards the top end of dice damage we've seen for the CR. And it's got an AC of 17. So good luck trying to hit that thing when you need, when some of these things modifiers to hit are only a plus two. So obviously that's pretty good. And that is why that, that thing earned its, earned its merits as a, uh, as a uh, legendary creature for the CR, for sure. Okay. Next thing here is on our list to talk about is the giant. Yeah, this one surprised me so much. I was thinking like, oh, you know, another spider. Okay. Well, here's what giant wolf spider can do. It's not like the other spiders by any means. ACF 13. Okay, not phenomenal, but points of 11. Also not phenomenal, but spider climb. Obviously, spider can climb difficult surfaces, including upside down. It's not going to need to make ability checks. Web sense, while in contact with the web, the spider knows the exact location of other creatures. Web walker, it ignores movement resistance caused by the web. Basic spider, right? But it's actions. And this is where I was like, what? Uh, okay, plus three to hit on one creature. A d6 plus one piercing. Sure, we've talked about that. That's the run of the mill. Usual, okay. But, and, or not but, I should say, and, uh, so if that hits with a plus three to hit, the target must make a dc11 con saving throw taking 2d6 poison damage on a failed save, or half as much on a successful one. If the poison damage reduces the target to zero hit points, the target is stable but poisoned for one hour, even after regaining hit points, and is paralyzed while poisoned in this way. Again, for those that don't remember what poisoned does, poisoned is actually pretty scary. So, a poison creature had disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks. So you basically just gave the enemy disadvantage. Even if it drops to zero hit points, your poison is still for one hour. So let's say that this isn't your only fight. Let's say that these, as DMs, idea, right? Let's say that these wild spiders are just the early little bad guys in the dungeon. Now, unless your players take a rest, they probably will go into the next fight, and that poisoned character now will have disadvantage. Which is huge. Like, these things can just set up and be, like, the guardians of a dungeon, or whatever. There could be, like, three or four of them. Hopefully they bite some creature, their Ormonds, and then their Ormonds are poisoned for the next hour, right? So, I just thought it was very good, the fact that it just, oh, continuously grants disadvantage. Oh, and the damage of 3d6 plus 1... 2d6 of it being poisoned is very strong. <laughs> right, we talked about, oh, the sword gets 1d8. Cool. This is 3d6 plus 1 piercing and poison damage. Obviously, assuming it fails a con save. Um, right, even if they pass, it's half as much damage on a successful one. 
So it's not even nullifying the full damage if they pass. So that's why I was like, Giant Wolf Spider, that's, that's pretty good. Being able to give things disadvantage for an entire hour. Oof. All right, back to the list quick. Uh, Pixie, of course. You're an experienced D&D player. And you've had players play with a certain spell in particular. That's why I'm gonna. That's why I made Pixie a legendary because <sighs> Pixie is this creature that has spells access to it, like others do. But there is one spell in particular that makes Pixie really scary. Uh, AC of fifteen, hit points of one. Right. Pixie has advantage on saving throws. And just go to another thing here. Pixie has abilities. Oh yeah, okay. So initiate spellcaster, right? So the Pixie's initiate spellcasting abilities, charisma. Like I said, AC of fifteen, hit points of one. Obviously, it gets hit. It's it's, it's dead. Um, it can it can initially cast the following spells, requiring only its Pixie dust as components. At will, Druidcraft, and then one time each day it can cast Confusion, which basically makes enemies have to roll to see if they hit their friends. Which is very scary, or they just don't even move or take actions on their turn if they roll a certain number of two to six on a d10. Very scary. Dancing lights, which just makes lights. Detect evil and good, which can help you with tracking. Detect thoughts, which can let you read and perceive the thoughts of creatures. It can dispel magic, which turns off magic in an area by just stopping it. Entangle, it can uh, grasping weeds and vines sprout from the ground in a 20-foot square, starting from a point within range. For the duration, these plants turn the ground into an area of difficult terrain. Creatures in the area, when you cast a spell, it's like a strength saving throw, or be entangled in the plants. Obviously really good. It can cast Fly. You touch your willing creature, the target gains a flying speed of 60 feet for the duration. Phantasmal Force. You create an illusion that takes root in the mind of a creature you can see within range. The phantasm includes sounds, temperatures, and other stimuli. Uh, da, 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 da. A phantasmal creature appears as a creature that can attack the target. Similarly, a phantasmal created to appear as fire, pool of acid, lava burn, can burn the target. Each round, it can deal 1d6 psychic damage to the target if that they are in the phantasmal area. There's a lot to the spell here. Um, includes sound, temperature, etc. While target's affected, the target treats the phantasm as if it's real. So basically, you make a ghost, they perceive it to be real. Each round on their turn, you can have the phantom deal 1d6 damage to the target. Um, if it is in the phantom's area or within five feet of the phantasm, provided that the illusion is a creature or hazard that could logically deal damage, such as an attacking, obviously, yeah. Basically, you make a ghost for only that person to see, and you can do 1d6 damage all the time to them. If that wasn't enough, it also knows the spell Polymorph. Now, we talked about this on stream of how strong Polymorph is. Uh, so, basically, you transform a creature into any beast whose challenge range is equal to or less than the target's or target's level. Pretty good. You could turn a little thing into a T-Rex. You can turn another Oromon into another huge creature, right? So... And then once it runs out of those hit points, then it goes down to its normal hit points. So that's a huge health buff. Every that's a huge health buff that this thing targets, and it could target itself. So your little pixie now becomes a T Rex, and you just trounced up. Now level will determine level of the fuse, right? Depending on what fusion level it is, will determine what level that creature is. Because it does say level, so you could. 
as a DM, I guess that's up to you, right? If you want Polymorph to do uh, the, the level spell of the card itself, or have it be the CR to match the creature. So if they CR change a level, a CR 3 creature, that becomes a new level 3, or 3 or less, obviously. And then sleep, which will guarantee put the pixie to sleep. But the magic spell sends creatures into magical slumber, rolling a 5d8. Totals how many hit points of creatures the spell affects. Creatures in 20 feet of a point you choose within range are affected by this. Yes, it's a range. So you can do this from really far away and have it not hit you if it's outside your range. Charmer, the creature that has the lowest current hit points, each creature affected by the spell falls unconscious until the spell ends. Creature's hit points must be equal to that or less than the remaining total for the creatures to be affected. Undead and creatures immune to being charmed aren't affected by the spell. You cast the spell at a higher level, rolling additional 2d8 for each side, but first, anyway. Uh, so this is obviously really good. Really good. You put a group of enemies to sleep until they take damage, or someone uses an action to shake or slap the sleeper awake. And then that's where you just basically get advantage on hitting them if they're sleeping. It's really good. Oh, what actions can you do? Because those are just spells. Um, you also have advantage on the same throws against spells and other magical effects in general. And the pixie magically turns invisible until its concentration ends. So it's like the sprite. It can turn invisible, but it causes chaos. It doesn't actually have any attacks or anything that deal damage, like with weapons or anything. But obviously its spells are nuts. It can turn itself and friends into, like, into big old creatures that just win. <laughs> Talk about the roleplay elements too. Being able to polymorph a player into something for a roleplaying element. Right? You need to polymorph them into like a dog so you can travel with the group. Or let's say they're traveling, right? And you have to escort like a wanted like person through an area of people that want to get that person. Which is maybe like it's a political convoy, right? And you're escorting an ambassador from a town to another area and you have to travel through dangerous terrain or dangerous like area that doesn't like the ambassador so you're probably more going to like the pet dog and now you're traveling with the group as a dog till you get through that bad area so the amount of like and that's just scraping the surface of what a pixie can do <laughs> for ideas so because of all of that that is why pixie is a legendary uh last thing being troglodyte i might move it I had a little iffy thoughts on troglodyte, I think. But here's why troglodyte. Oh, you want troglodyte, D&D 5e, whoops. Yeah, look at that guy, troglodyte. So, all right, you see 11, lower than average, hit points 13, all right, whatever. All right, why'd you make it a legendary? Well, advantage on dexterity stealth checks made to hide, already pretty good. Stench, and a creature other than a troglodyte, such a term within five feet. Makes a DC 12 con saving throw or be poisoned until the start of the creature's next turn. On a successful save, the creature's immune to the stench for an hour. So, you make an AoE area of stink, and that stink can poison creatures, which gives them disadvantage on that attack until the start of their next turn. And this can continually happen until they meet the save check of 12. Or con. What else? Well, obviously sunlight sensitivity, so the sunlight makes it bad, but it makes three attacks every turn. The only creature we've seen that can make three attacks. What are those attacks? Oh, they all have a plus four to hit. Granted, the fungus could deal, like, remember the fungus we were talking about before, could deal up to four attacks. But those were only plus two. This is a plus four, five feet. And, yep, they all deal 1d4 plus two, either biting or slashing, right? Either piercing or slashing damage with its bite and claw. It makes one bite and two with its claws every single turn. Uh, it makes three attacks every turn. In addition to the enemy being poisoned, 
And if they keep failing it, they will keep having disadvantage against this guy getting a plus four to hit all the time. So let's say all your attacks hit, that is 3d4 plus six damage. At minimum, that is nine damage. At minimum, let's say maximum, 19 damage, right? Because the d4 is 12, right? So 12 times four, or three times four is 12, plus six is 18. 18 damage at max. So a minimum, like we said, of nine up to 18, that's, that's pretty good if they all hit. And you get a plus four, which is a decent, a decent modifier to hit. So that's why I basically made it be a legendary because it's really good. Um, I know this is the starting card for power in their deck. I may change it for something else. Because obviously getting more of this thing is uh is hard to get if it's a legendary. Um But on that notion, it's pretty good. And there's not many things early game that have a um more than 13 strength like power needs. So that's it. Um so what do you guys think about two creatures, right? What do you think about Troglodyte being legendary? This thing makes three attacks, stink cloud, advantage to hide. Granted, it's got stealing sensitivity, but let's say you're not out in the sun, then this thing is just a monster. So, even if you are in the sun, you have disadvantage, you took a plus four with all those attacks. So, that's still pretty good to get breakthrough and AC, deal a bunch of different types of damage. So, yeah, what do you guys think? There's a Troglodyte, look at him. Basically, yeah, so biggest thing is like, should Troglodyte be a legendary, like I said? And how about the Violent Fungus? What are your thoughts on the Violent Fungus? I know it is a glass cannon and has really bad AC, really average, average HP, but it can deal almost 48 at max. That's what, 32 damage for the Violet Fungus, and that's the strongest attack on anything we've seen so far, but it only has a plus two to hit, so the chances of that are very small, but a possibility nonetheless compared to everything else. So, With that being said, thank you all for coming into this week's here. Um, I don't like a confirmed stream schedule yet. Like I said, hopefully that can be something I can arrange as the day, as the weeks go on here during the summer. But um, hopefully you guys had a good uh, holiday weekend. Uh, in America, here we're celebrating Memorial Day, so thank you for all those um, that know of loved ones that have helped serve everything and have made the ultimate sacrifice. Really, it, it helped us become where we are today. So thank you for all of that. And with that being said. Hopefully you all have enjoyed listening, and uh, let me know with the Violet Fungus, and if Troglodyte's okay at Legendary, and I will catch you all for the next one. Alright, bye!